before I, <clears throat> uh, well, uh, as part of as part of the beginning or the way to begin today, I'd like uh, I'd like to just read these uh, three verses uh, regarding our parable today, and uh, it's in and if uh, if you carry your hard copy Bibles or even your smartphone Bibles, it's uh, there's something good about looking down, I think, on your own page and in your own hard copy. But it's uh, Matthew 13:44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls, and when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Twin parables. In our study of parables, we come to these. Uh, there's a book written by Irvin Lutzer called How in, this, How in This World Can I Be Holy? And uh, he tells this old story about values. Uh, there were two, two thieves who broke into a clothing store, and uh, they, had, they had some fun. Um, and then they escaped successfully. What did they do? Did they steal any of it? No. Did they have a party? No. They rearranged the price tags on many of the items for sale. <laughs> the next morning, customers notices that suits were priced at $5 each and shoes were $150. And uh, I think even that was yesterday's prices, right? <laughs> shoes for 150 was no exaggeration, or today isn't. But anyway, the thieves could not change the values of the merchandise, but changing the price tags was quite easy for them. And that, of course, was before barcodes. But it has to do with value. This was about changing values. But what is it we especially value? And of course, our values differ a great deal. Uh, some of us would rather watch sports. Others would rather look at dramatic programs. I think it's the head of the house that controls the uh, remote, right? That, that automatically makes the person the head. <laughs> um, we have different values in what we're interested in, of course, and you know what we especially aspire towards. But you know, there are some things that we are together in on, and uh, I'm thinking about those occasions where there is a disaster. Let's say there's a fire, and. Uh, People have to quickly decide what did they take with us. If we can, first of all, we want to get, a, get it, make sure everybody is safe. But then there are some other things we want to include, and usually they are things that have a special memory value. And so often on the newscasts, there are examples where uh, somebody has stolen something, and of course the thief wanted something that had great dollar value. 
And the people are saying, hey, we don't care about that, but this was something great meaning to us. Memorabilia. Sometimes it might even be the ashes of a loved one that's inside that particular uh, vase or whatever it was that was stolen. And of course, I'm thinking now about the disasters happening to the people in the Carolinas and the Philipp Philippines. And again, these people have to uh, decide what especially do we take with us as we have to evacuate. Well, the uh, parable that we, are, we have come to today uh, is about values. What is really important? And uh, as I said, they're twin parables. They go together. And uh, it's, I believe that what Jesus is teaching here is sort of like two instances that help to reinforce the same point. And so let's look at the stories themselves, the parables, and then we will see if we can unpack them to see what, what we are especially being taught here. But first there was the man who discovered the treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and, and bought that field. Uh, he was probably plowing or something, you know, working for somebody, and then uncovers a treasure. Uh, in Palestine, they didn't have modern banking like we do. And, uh, you know, having, having been an adult already, when some of these conveniences have uh, become available to us, I'm quite intrigued by them. Uh, you know, bank machines and Internet banking... And uh, first, I, I first encountered the, uh, the bank machine when, uh, when we were in Winnipeg. And I was, uh, had already had about 10, 12 years of ministry when I went there. So it hasn't been with us that long, but banks in themselves have been with us a very, very long time. And, uh, but here in, in Palestine, uh, they didn't have that. And uh, so um, they often hid their treasures their financial treasures in the ground. And if the owner died before he could retrieve it, uh, it might remain concealed indefinitely for a long period of time in the ground. And hidden treasures became a popular subject in Eastern folklore, in Near Eastern folklore, exciting the imagination of peasants and to Fine, such was the ultimate dream. It was like winning a lottery without gambling. You know, came upon a treasure like that. And so the man in Jesus' story might well be a poor peasant who's working the land for a wealthy landowner. And um, we're not told exactly who he was, but, we, but he found it in the field and then he put it back in again once he had found it. And so the reason that it's a pretty good theory that he was plowing the land was because the treasure was uncovered. And so he puts the treasure back in the ground. And we're told that according to rabbinic law, this man had prior right to what he had found. But he would first have to possess the land and so recognizing the immense worth of the treasure, he puts together all the finances he has, all the cash, all the 
coins of gold or whatever he had. And then he went and purchased the land. And the treasure then becomes his. Well, the second story is different in terms of uh, the character there, the main character. Uh, this one, instead of stumbling unexpectedly upon the treasure, he is a successful businessman who is pursuing, he's looking for fine pearls. And then when he discovers this one, which he, it is good judgment, recognizes is of exceptional value, he just sells everything he owns. Uh, in our world, it would be like he sells his stocks and his bonds, his real estate, liquidates everything, and then brings the money and purchases this precious gem, this pearl, as we say, of great price. Twin parables, both reinforcing the same point, in spite of the differences in the kind of person and the way that uh, they came upon the treasure. What we have in common between them is that in, in both instances, both find something of staggering value. Staggering value. And they sell off everything else in order to own what they found. What is the teaching here? Well, I think really it isn't that difficult to figure out but uh, Jesus says, in, uh, as he begins, uh, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like this treasure, okay? And then the next verse also, again, the kingdom of heaven, and there the whole, I think it's the whole situation that describes the kingdom and being part of it. But he's talking here about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, which, as we said last week, uh, is the reign of God. And from the very beginning, Jesus coming, as well as in, even in John's ministry, which preceded our Lord's ministry, it was about the kingdom of heaven being at hand, being there, being present. And of course, as time goes on, we recognize, and after Jesus finished his work, the kingdom is represented in him, and that he is the Lord of uh, the king of his kingdom. But uh, uh, these two parables represent the kingdom. Uh, the treasure represents the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, he says, is like treasure. And then the second one, uh, it's like the pearl of great value. And how about the two characters? Who, what do they represent? Well, the one plowing and the merchant, they represent all those people who value the kingdom and give up other things in order to receive the kingdom, in order to be part of it. They give up what they have to give up so they can have the kingdom, so they can receive the kingdom and live accordingly. In this world, we have two kingdoms that are operating at the same time, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven. Different goals, different standards, different kings. Kingdom of God is both now and not yet. It is here to some extent already. Whenever somebody uh, does something uh, in the following of Jesus, there's the kingdom of God. And uh, someday it'll be consummated completely. 
There's a also and there's a, a not yet factor. Meanwhile, as we await the day when it's going to be fully compensated, we are, like somebody has described, it's like we're almost like a guerrilla movement. We are like an underground movement influencing uh, the kingdom in a good way, promoting it, uh, following our Lord, being salt, being light, as we love and care for people, including enemies, and then through the power of the gospel, seeing women and men become participants in his kingdom. But regarding what it teaches us very directly, now that, that is background about what the kingdom really is, and that we are part of that every time we follow the Lord and follow his example and do it for him. But in terms of very immediate, direct teaching for us, three very tightly related ideas here. There is A, the surpassing worth of the kingdom and being part of that. Secondly, there is the uh, surpassing claim. Uh, this whole parable is teaching that it, it's got number one claim on our life. And then thirdly, there is the supreme good outcome if we follow the Lord in the kingdom. But I want to say at the beginning here that these three are so tightly connected that uh, some of the observations I make for the one will be at the same time making an observation of the other. So it won't be like I'm making three isolated points here. But I want to make these three. There's the surpassing worth of the kingdom, the surpassing claim of the kingdom, and, this, and then the supreme outcome when we seek first the kingdom of God. But Jesus is teaching here that being part of his kingdom is worth more, is of greater value, more important than anything else. And that to have this treasure, this pearl, is well worth the sacrifice of everything else. Very direct teaching from the two parables. They gave up everything so they can be part of it. We see an example of this in, in the person of Moses as it's documented for us in Hebrews 11. It says that he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. He made a choice to be part of God's kingdom, to be uh, mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value, there's that word again, value, than the treasures of Egypt. He could have been part of the very treasures of the great country of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And so for him, it was worth more to be part of God's people, part of God's kingdom, than, um, than to somehow enter into what he could have had in Egypt, even though it resulted in suffering. And he acted accordingly. It says that he chose, chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And, uh, and so with the choice was the willingness to set other things aside, you know, giving up other things for God's agenda. And that's our call to his kingdom has to be primary, other things secondary, because nothing else is as great a value as his kingdom and it, our involvement in it. Now maybe this seems a little radical, okay? But you know, it's, it's the pattern of scripture. You find it 
in the Old Testament, you find it in the New Testament. In fact, the very first commandment, what is it? He's saying that I am the Lord your God, you are to have no other gods before me. And uh, Jesus, part of the Sermon on the Mount, he challenged the people that he was really saying to them, you know, that after you've taken care of everything that you need to take care of, then uh, towards the end of life, seek first. You know, that isn't what he said, is it? What he said before anything else. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We, as human beings who are living reasonably good lives, we probably consider our families as the most important thing in our everyday life. You know, the relationship, the love between parents and their kids and the kids for their parents and husband and wife, those, if anything, would be our, our number one consideration. And of course, in the tragedies that are going on in these hurricanes, again, is every member of the family safe? That would be number one. And our Lord doesn't disagree with that, except his kingdom has to even be of higher value. Matthew 10:37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who doesn't take his own cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's not that these things aren't important, but he's saying that following me, seeking first the kingdom, the supreme value of the kingdom, it, it's bigger than even these human relationships. And uh, something, uh, and so that's part of it. But now, I, now I'm going to deal with the third point, you know, the, the supreme outcome of this the kingdom is of surpassing worth but it calls for uh, you know a, a claim surpassing everything else in terms of claim but then there's the positive outcome and i think we need to stress this because we may very well be prone to think all of this is negative you know we have to be martyrs we have to take our claim, our commitment to Christ so seriously that we walk around with long faces. And I think there, there's been a tendency, especially in some church groups, to be a little bit that way. You know, with a stifling legalism, with all kinds of man-made rules. And so the people become known more for what they are against than for what they are for. And that takes away that this is positive. It's because the kingdom is worth so much for us that we have to be willing to set everything else aside. But whatever else you can say about the kingdom, it's positive. And that was stressed from the very beginning. When Jesus came on the scene, at the time of his birth, it was announced, do not be afraid, I bring you good news. Good news that will cause great joy for all people. John the forerunner, 
Luke 3.18 is one example. And with many other words, it says, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Matthew 4.23, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. John 6, 31, 32, well-known verses. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will, say it with me, set you free. Good news again. And then John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I didn't come to take away life. I'm calling you to give up everything to love me more than father and mother. But I didn't come to take away life. I came to give you life and so that you could have it more abundantly. And so the supreme good outcome of all this is that it is as we participate in his kingdom that life for us becomes closest to what it should be like, okay? And so whatever it is that we are asked to give up, we gain, we gain in the ex- exchange. And then you see that positive, that very positive dynamic here uh, as they purchased their treasures. You know, um, when, uh, the first one in verse 44, when a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy, in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Paul, in Philippians, expresses all this whole equation, really, the surpassing worth and yet the supreme outcome in following the Lord. He says in Philippians 3, verse 8, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom for whose sake I have lost all things. Surpassing greatness. Because of the surpassing worth. Therefore, the surpassing claim. And then what he has in exchange. For whose sake I have lost all things. See, the alternative really is the kingdom of darkness. And I highlined this verse last week, and I want us to be really familiar with this verse. Colossians 1.13 He has rescued us from the domain of darkness. That's when you follow the dictates of the other kingdom. Domain and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But what what about the loss of things? What about these other things being secondary? What does that mean then? Does that mean we don't care about anything else? Here's the thing. We are members and participate, participants in the kingdom of this world. And we have responsibilities. We have the opportunity to develop our skills and our uh, careers and the responsibility that goes with that. God has made this world beautiful and so it's under Him also that we can develop the arts and enjoy the arts and the many cultural things. We're part of both kingdoms. 
But even as I, I said last week, the call for us is not to uh, discard those things or to take them lightly, but it's to keep Christ at the center of all those things. As we looked at it and saw last week that in the Sermon on the Mount, He covers life. He covers everything. And so it's not giving up the normal good things of life, but it's to take on those things with Him at the center. What is it uh, they, they used to say, I think it was Campus Crusade many, many years ago, or uh, InterVarsity, if Christ is Lord, then nothing is secular. And so it's keeping our Lord at the center and then fulfilling the responsibilities in all of life, including those things that people outside the kingdom are into as well. Recognizing that everything we have really ultimately belongs to Him, so we become stewards, as I also pointed out a couple of weeks ago. We're saved by grace, and that's a good thing too. Otherwise, none of us could be part of it. But grace does not exempt anyone from coming under the reign of the king and being on the side of the kingdom. Rather, grace provides the way in which we can come into the kingdom and be under his lordship and under his reign so that we can give up all the other allegiances and give single-minded allegiance to Jesus. See, our tendency, I think, is to kind of cling to the lesser gods and to somehow live with the illusion that we can ride the fence and that we can pick and choose the best from both worlds. For this reason, we need to be loosened from the other gods, these other treasures, so that He can be our treasure. He can be the pearl of great price. Chuck Swindell read or wrote a book called uh, Improving Your Serve. And some of you probably read it. Um, but here's an imaginary conversation that, uh, in that, that he has uh, come up with. And uh, this imaginary uh, conversation, I think, seeks, uh, brings clarity to what we've been looking at this morning about the pearl and about the treasure and how we can enter into it. Here's the conversation. I want this pearl. How much is it? Well, the seller says, it's very expensive. But how much, we ask? A very large amount. Do you think I could buy it? Oh, of course. Everyone can buy it. But didn't you say it was very expensive? Yeah. Well, how much is it? Everything you have, says the seller. So we make up our minds, all right, I'll buy it, we say. Well, what do you have? He wants to know. Let's write it down. Well, I have $10,000 in the bank. Good, $10,000. What else? That's all. That's all I have. Nothing more. Well, I have a few dollars here in my pocket, and we start digging. Well, let's see, 30, 40, 60, 80, 100, $120. That's fine. What else do you have? Well, nothing. That's it. That's all I have. Um, where do you live? Still probing. Uh, in my house. Yeah, I have a house. A house too then, and he writes that down. You mean I have to live in my camper? 
You have a camper? That too. <laughs> what else? I'll have to sleep in my car. You have a car? Two of them. <laughs> both become mine, both cars. What else? Well, you already have my money, my house, my camper, my cars. What more do you want? Are you alone in the world? No, I have a wife and two children. Oh yes, your wife and children too. What else? I have nothing left. I'm all alone now. Oh, I almost forgot. You yourself too. Everything else becomes mine. Wife, children, house, money, cars, and you too. And then he goes on. He says, now listen. I will allow you to use all these things for the time being. But don't forget that they are mine, just as you are. And whenever I need any of them, you must give them up, because now I am the owner. The message of Jesus is about a kingdom that is more valuable than anything else. And it is good news, because it is offered for a price that everyone can pay. I'd say the bottom line of this, these two parables, really, is that we are called to seek first the kingdom of God. And as we go from here today, let's think of that, yes, in that first commitment, that decisive commitment that you make to say, hey, I want to be, I choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you need to make that commitment and you need to talk to somebody about it, I'd be happy to talk to you about that. But you know, most of us have made that commitment. And so I think the call to us is to choose daily, daily, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let's pray and then we'll sing that popular, well-known, excellent song. Lord, we pray that we might not leave here today without a clear understanding that you call us to put you first in all areas of life. We are to put you first, but at the same time that you are part of every area of life. May we go from here being better stewards, better managers for you, knowing that you own us completely. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.